Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. And welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And Justin... What? It's time. Oh, no. Is it time to be real? It's time to be real right Holy now. Crap. This is I'm not sorry. Sawbones, this, this is, is not a drill. Stunt. It's this not, is not a drill. It's not a stunt. This it's is real. It's time to be real. It's time to be real. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you... Well, okay. Oh, hold your I took fu- the there. picture right away. It's a great picture of me and a picture of you. Okay. Oh, no. Is it bad? There's no such thing as a bad picture of you, there my dear. There are bad pictures of me. Welcome okay. to Sawbones. Oh, that was not it's great. Not, it's great. I'm sure... It was not my oh. best work. Hey, can you... I opened a soda. Can you... Would you mind? I opened a soda into the microphone, so if you would tell me to grip it and rip it. Grip it and rip it. Thank you. I appreciate it, because I can't podcast unless somebody says grip and rip it when I open up. Sorry about that interruption to be real. Folks, it's out of our hands. But when they tell you to be real, you got to be real. You got to be real. Otherwise, it's not real. I I broke my streak yesterday. No. Yeah. Well, it was, I was literally. real? uh, Well, I, I just finished a week of hospital service, like. A couple hours ago. Well, no, I'm not officially off call yet. I'm still on call. I can tell by your eyes you're still on call. <laughs> I am. <laughs> the, the You can see the visible weight on me yeah. the entire, because 24 hours a day, seven days. As soon straight. as she hands off the service, she's like Grandpa Joe in, in <laughs> Willy Wonka. Does that, da, 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 da. Um, no, I was standing in a patient's room, and I, d- I could not think of a way— <laughs> To say, I'm all right, get, everybody. I'm going to get a quick uh, phone scan of you, if you don't mind just smiling. If you and get keeping to smile. It re- but and- keep it real, please. This shouldn't be posed. <laughs> it's for a phone scan. These days, you can do it, anything with phones. I, I, I could not think of any way that that would be professional or appropriate or anything I'd ever want to do. You should have called me. So, I would have told you the phone scan thing. I just came up with, with that. So I so I didn't, and I thought, well, I'll just post late, and then I just I just forgot. You could tell them it's a tiny MRI machine. <laughs> it's I a tiny thought, cat scanner. It's a kitty scan. Do you know what's funny? I It makes me it's feel old. It's a kitty scan. I said. Oh, like a cat. Oh, my God. I don't know how I feel about that. I, said, I feel so old. That I remember there was a time, because sometimes we do need to take pictures of things, right? To, like, document, like, is it getting worse or better? Or, like, sometimes a specialist can't come in right away, so they'll ask, can you take a picture of a wound or something? And and we have ways through our EMR of, like, sharing those pictures. Electronic medical records. Yes. Thank you. Very good. So that they are HIPAA protected, so that we're not just sharing a picture of your foot with everyone, right? Um, Or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be your foot. But... Um, a lot of the times we just use our phones to actually access that app and take those pictures. 
I still remember the time when in our clinic, we had the designated camera that you use to take pictures of wounds and you had to sign out the camera to yeah. go take a picture of a wound. Yeah. Like a, like a physical camera. A camera. <laughs> a camera. They don't even make those things anymore. Sid, what is our episode about today? Justin, usually we cover stuff uh, throughout medical history that we did to try to make people better, right? Yep. Maybe we didn't do a good job of it, but we were trying. Mm-hmm. I thought we would do something a little different this week and cover something that was specifically created to make people worse, as in sick or die. A poison. poison. A poison is a what poison. I'm talking about. Yes. So thank you, Kathy, for this uh, topic recommendation. I'd never heard of this before, but we were going to talk about aqua tofana. Show at gmail.com or sawbones at maximumfun.org. That's our email address. You can email us if you got a similar suggestion. Yeah, I really appreciate it because I I'd never heard of this poison. And again, I know this is kind of it's straying a little away from what we cover on this show because it is very much not medical history to like when we gave people poisons. That's like murder history, homicide right. history. There are lots of podcasts about there that. There are. I think. We don't normally delve into that. We live, you know, no, given I, to Caesar what is Caesar's. I, but I think sometimes talking about poisons and what was possibly in them and how they worked and and why, I think it's, I mean, it's adjacent. And I mean, honestly, we gave lots of medicines throughout history that turned out to be poison. So, and Sydney, so. one could argue, it has been said, that the dose makes the poison. Can I tell you that I wrote the dose makes the poison in my notes as like, sometimes I'll put in my notes something that I think is worth, to, like, I don't know. It, it means something just to me, just to my brain. I'll see that that sentence and think, ah, I know what I'm talking about. Except I wrote the does makes the poison. The does makes the poison? Yeah. And that's not anything. So, okay. Why, what is aquatofauna? Why did somebody make it? What was its use? It's it, This is a poison that has a very specific connotation. Yeah. I'm going to swoop in with the first part of that translation and just say it's water. Yes. Tofana's a person. Oh, Tofana's water. Easy. Done. Uh, it's not surprising, maybe, to hear that if we look back throughout history, and this isn't medical history, this is just, you know, regular history. <laughs> um, marriage hasn't always been an equal partnership between two parties. Huh. Still to this day. One may argue that it is not always an equal partnership between two parties. Uh, I think it's never an equal partnership. I think in a good marriage, it's an unequal partnership that shifts back and forth as needed. I think that's your ideal. Yes, but I am not talking about that kind of give and take uh -huh. of a lifelong partnership with another human. I'm talking about more specifically that in many places and times throughout human history— if there is a partner in a relationship who is a woman, she is not necessarily given the same kinds of um, rights in a marriage as mm. as her husband. I have heard. May. Of I have heard of this. Yes, yes. Um, and and a lot in a lot of times, women were forced into marriages by societal rules, by cultural expectations financial obligations of their families or some sort of uh, power, you know, seeking kind of arrangement or just like literal force, just like literally forced mm -hmm. into marriages, whether they wanted to be or not, and then would be kind of trapped in them. Um, and the results could vary from just simply a loveless match to people who didn't really care about each other, but there they are, they're stuck, 
to the worst case scenario where it's an abusive relationship. And hey, that's stinking thinking. What about the, the, the you said best case is loveless marriage. What about two two strangers fight each other against all odds? And I yeah, I know. I, I see what you're saying, but I think that that is outside the purview of this episode because. If that was the case, if you were forced into a marriage and then they ended up being the love of your life, you would have no need for aqua tofana. <laughs> that's okay. That's fair. Okay. So if you are stuck in that kind of arrangement, and again, we're talking about a situation where you cannot, it's, you can't leave. You can't get a divorce. There might not be such thing as divorce, or you don't have the legal right to get a divorce, uh, or you would bring such shame and humiliation to your family, or you would b- be destitute. So, uh, what what links would you go to to end to end that arrangement? What wouldn't you do <laughs> to get this, out of that situation? This is like the weirdest thing for my wife to ever ask me. Well, I mean, I'm happily married to you, and I have the option to leave. You heard, I, you heard it, I folks. Want to. You heard it, folks. She's happy <laughs> in the marriage. We've done it. Then I can leave if I want and to. And she can leave if she wants to. Uh, okay, so back in 17th century Italy, where <laughs> our, so our story our starts. Did mom just scream that she can leave the marriage whenever she wants to? Uh, back in 17th century Italy, marriage was really the only option for a woman. There's not, there wasn't, a, there weren't a lot of roles for you in society. I guess a convent. But there weren't yeah. a lot of other roles in society if you didn't get married. Um, and, you know, it was really important for you, for your family. And when you did get married, you still didn't have a lot of options, honestly. Like, they're, like pretty much you had one choice. Get married, have kids, be obedient. Um, so this is when we start hearing the stories of a woman named uh, Julia Tofana. Wow. Now, let me say that this is a story that I think is full of as much myth and lore as it is actual fact. Mm. Um, I read many different accounts of exactly who this person was, uh, how they came into this poison, the recipe, if you will, for mm-hmm. this poison, how many people were killed by the poison, and and what was the fate of Miss Tofana. I, I, there are lots of different sort of spins on that story. Um, I've read a lot of them. Some of these are like we have evidence for specific instances, and then some we're kind of thinking this is probably based on accounts we have. This is probably most likely what happened. Um, so this is like the condensed version. There are lots of histories out there if you want to read more about it that are really well researched and documented as to what we do know and what we think we know and what we're what is probably just made up. Um, most versions of the story start with the inventor of the poison. Um, we know that a specific poisoner, we find a description of an execution, which tells of a poisoner. That's how mm-hmm. we know the poisoner existed. Um, I mean, cause if you think about like record keeping, what records of a person's life are dependable from that far back? Yeah. Birth sometimes, death sometimes, marriage might be in there. Some of it's hard. I sometimes mean, some hospital stuff. If there was some sort of newspaper, you know, it's hard sometimes. Yeah, it's very sketchy. Um, so Teofania Diadamo is who we think invented Aquatofana. And then, and obviously it comes from her name. Okay. That is, that is where the name comes from. Um, and, and so therefore, obviously moving on, I don't, I doubt she called it that. In fact, there's no evidence she would have called it after herself. Mm -hmm. Other people did throughout time. Um, and basically we know that this poisoner, um, was specific had specifically created something that would kill its victim slowly. Okay, I'm actually going to go out on a limb now and say that she 
almost certainly did not name it after herself. That would have been extremely wild. Because then everybody would be like, well, I mean, obviously we know who did it. Just it's to it's to find her. Go get her. Go arrest her. <laughs> Go it's get wild. her. She's, it says it right here on the bottle. There's her mailing address, like right on there. Questions, complaints, husband didn't die. Come here to my house where I live. And the the reason that we connect her to later Julia Tofana, um, who may have been her daughter. Hmm. That is that is historically theorized based on the records. Um, the way that we connect that is the similarities of the poisons. So there was a poison that could kill a victim in three days, but it could last longer. It depended on how often you gave them the do- the doses of the poison. You only needed a few drops, but it was slow acting and it was subtle. Was it cumulative? Yes. Okay. So it wouldn't kill you. There was, I mean, I guess you could kill someone after one dose if you gave them enough of it. But that's true of everything. Well, but but the what made this a, a good poison, I guess, if you're looking to murder someone, is that if you serve someone food and they die afterwards, everybody looks at you and goes, well, what the heck did you give them? If over the course of several days or weeks, someone gradually becomes ill and has all the appearance on the outside of developing some sort of chronic illness— and then they slowly succumb to that illness. Then who knows? Then who knows what it is? Um, you wouldn't necessarily assume that anyone was responsible for that poison uh, or for that for that death. You wouldn't necessarily assume poison. And especially at this time period in history, there were lots of things that slowly killed people. <laughs> and we yeah. didn't quite know what they were your yet. Te- your teeth at that point. Who knows? You might have mercury in your hat. I mean, teething literally. Now, not in this, not in older people, but teething was thought to cause a lot of death. Look at your paint. Paint's all lead and poison. There's lots of stuff in kills, and so we know that she was caught uh, because she she definitely murdered. They think she she created and sold a poison that resulted in the murder of several people, um, and she had some accomplices she worked with. And um, the main reason that we that this there were several news articles and we have evidence of this is that uh, the way that she was killed was really um, dramatic. Mm. There are several accounts. She was uh, either closed and bound alive in a canvas sack and thrown from the roof of the bishop's palace. Wow, that's intense. Right? Sheesh. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, she was drawn and quartered perhaps. So, uh, anyway, there were, there, I won't go through all them. There were several different ways that you could murder people legally by the state, by the church. It feels like the church. I mean, it was off have, the bishop's palace. So the state, the they church. They didn't have TV. So the executions had to be like flashy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so we have this evidence that there was this woman that did this poisoning. And then all of a sudden we have another figure who emerges uh, several years after this. Um, and again, we kind of think that Julia Tofana is probably her daughter. Okay. Uh, she originally was in Palermo, and there were some there were some uh, murders already. There were some mysterious deaths. I should say at the time, like, nobody knew for sure if it was a murder because what it appeared was happening is people were slowly succumbing to some sort of strange illness. It just seemed like they all were men and... They all left behind wealthy widows, <laughs> which, of course, was raising some eyebrows. Uh, so she was originally in uh, Palermo, um, 
She ended up in uh, Naples for a while, and there were some poisonings that took place there. Um, and you can start to kind of trace, like, where she's going to some, some scattering, scattered deaths until she ends up in Rome. And, like, Rome is really where we see uh, her kind of create her gang <laughs> of poisoners and accomplices and how she seeks her clients. So the clients she specifically is looking for are women who are looking to get out of an unhappy marriage, right? Okay. Um, so she sets up shop in Rome. She has a couple accomplices that make the poison. She has two um, dispensers, okay. which are women who can go out into the community and kind of try to find people. And then she needed a steady supply. One of the ingredients we know was probably in the poison was arsenic. And she needed a steady supply of arsenic. And she found that uh, her connection for that was a priest. Oh, yeah. So part of the gang, uh, this is a very weird Ocean's Eleven, I feel like. They used to be, like, think about um, Friar Lawrence, like in Romeo and Juliet, man. They they used to have all, all the hookup for all the poisons you need, even mm-hmm. if it's like a fake death. They just, like, had it. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting that if you, if you, I mean, all these stories, like, I, I mean, that must have been pretty common that like a priest would have had access. I, I mean, kind of give them to somebody. Would a double as an apothecary? Well, they, I'm sure, I'm sure that they did, right? Yeah. And so, anyway, so they hooked up with a, a, I would say like a priest who was probably not, um, obeying all the things priests are supposed to do if he was hooking up a poisoner with arsenic? Um, yeah, probably not. The Bible isn't too too jazzed about that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and so they have their gang. Mm-hmm. They got their hookup for the arsenic, which is part of the ingredients. We'll, we'll talk about some of the other possible ingredients. Um, and they have the women who make it, and they have the women who go out, and basically they will try to find women who are unhappy, offer them assistance in other ways, offer them support, sometimes as like um, uh, fortune tellers and that kind of like drawing people in with that kind of like mysticism kind of thing. And then once they have them hooked and they know more about their personal life and their struggles, then say, you know, there is something you could do. There is one option. There is one option. Um, so I want to talk about exactly what happened to you when you were exposed to aqua tofana. Well, but before we do that, we got to go to the billing department. All right, let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? 
pre-prepared. All I got at two minutes. I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Soundheap with John Luke Roberts is a real podcast made up of fake podcasts. Like, if you had a cupboard in your lower back, what would you keep in it? So I'm going to say mugs. A little yogurt and a spoon. A small handkerchief that was given to me by my grandmother on her deathbed. Maybe some spare honey? I'd keep batteries in it. I'd pretend to be a toy. If I had a cupboard in my lower back, I'd probably fill it with spines. If you had a cupboard in your lower back, what would you keep in it? Doesn't exist. We made it up for Sound Heap with John Luke Roberts, an award-winning comedy podcast from Maximum Fun, made up of hundreds of stupid podcasts. Listen and subscribe to Sound Heap with John Luke Roberts now. Oh, darling, why won't you accept my love? My dear, even though you are a duke, I could never love you. You, you borrowed a book from me and never returned it. (gasps) Save yourself from this terrible fate by listening to Reading Glasses. We'll help you get those borrowed books back and solve all your other reader problems. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Okay, Sid, you just slipped me a a whole bottle of Aquatofana. How am I doing? So first of all, the bottle of Aquatofana that a woman would purchase. So she's been approached by one of these salespeople. They create, there's a relationship formed. Eventually she says, yeah, I want to kill my husband, Mm -hmm. but how can I do it and get away with it? So they would give you a bottle of manna of St. Nicholas. And what's that? It was a miraculous healing oil that was sweated from St. Nicholas's bones. Whoa. 
It was. I bet that's pretty pricey. It Sheesh. wasn't. It was Aquatofana. I didn't even know Bones sweated. Sheesh. <laughs> it was not that. It was Aquatofana. But this is what the bottles of Aquatofana said. They would have a picture of St. Nicholas. They would say that it was the man of St. Nicholas. It would look like some sort of remedy that you would have in your house at the time. Um, and a lot of women, especially like, we're kind of catering to a lot of like upper class or wealthier women who, you know, maybe already have like a large collections of perfumes and oils and cosmetic things. Yeah. And you could easily slip a bottle of this other oil among them and it would look pretty innocuous there on yeah, your shelf. But woe to those who start rifling through your medicine cabinet because they got heartburn and they're like, ah, man, I was St. Nicholas. That seems like it would help. Sounds good. Let's try it. Um, oh, I was a double plate of spaghetti. I better do two doses of this of this stuff. And let me say, in order to acquire the bottle, it did cost you money. But there there are accounts that um, Tofana would give it to you for free. Referrals. Yeah. Well, Affili I mean, an affiliate there were marketing times program. where she would get she would hear stories from women who were so desperate in such terrible situations that she would give them the poison for free. Wow. Um. So anyway, so once a few drops of the uh, Aquatofana is slipped into your wine or your tea or whatever, first of all, you're not going to know. It is. It's. It almost sounds like iacane powder. It's odorless. Is that it's real? Tasteless. No, not to my knowledge. I don't think iacane powder is real. Now that you say that, I'll I don't do think it. I've I'll ever it googled it. Um, but you wouldn't know. And and again, it's like it's just an. It's just this pale liquid. No taste. No color. No nothing. You would. You wouldn't know that it had been slipped into your food or, or beverage. Usually a beverage, um, because you don't. You don't need to hide it. You don't need to work very hard to hide it. Okay, so when you first have a few drops, you're almost going to notice nothing. You might become a little out of it. I you're, think so. uh, it's not real. It's not real. There we go. This this was real. This was a poison. Exactly what was in it is still debated, but this was real. Uh, you might get a little weak. You might get a little tired. You're not going to call a doctor for that first dose. You're not going to, after the first time you're exposed to Aquatofana, you might not feel great, but especially if, like, you ingested it in wine, you might just think you have a hangover. Mm. So it, it wouldn't occur to you. Um, after the second dose, things are going to get worse. Uh, you're going to start to feel even more tired and weak. You're going to get other um, symptoms like abdominal pain was pretty common. You'll get really thirsty. And then your throat is really sore. And eventually, all of those symptoms are going to increase in severity. So as you get your exposed to your next dose of poison, you might the abdominal pain gets much worse. You might start having more vomiting into like dysentery kind of picture. The fatigue is going to become unbearable. Um, and again, this is going to look like nothing. Nowadays, some we would think, oh, you've caught some bug. Now this mm. is before. We understood communicable illness. <laughs> right. So we're still but in like we know illness. miasma like, got, theory of disease uh, kind of days. But like we knew illness. We knew even like. Even more so, right? Mm -hmm. Like who knows? What's wrong with them? I don't know. It's the frigging 1700s. Nobody's got any idea. We and we, Well, we had lots of ideas. Uh, well, were they yeah, right or not? Yeah, yeah. But like we, was it a bad smell that they inhaled? Is it um, – did they upset God in some way? Is this a religious sort of like occurrence? Um, you would is have a, looked into – Is a into, wizard involved? Is a wizard involved, perhaps? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. It could be magic. It could be religious. It could be 
I mean, there were definitely illnesses that, like, would be considered, like, swelling could be one of the symptoms. So then you start thinking, like, is it some—we knew that that had something to do with the heart. We didn't quite understand what to do about it. Um, and so you, the doctor would be called in. You've got—now you've got a guy who's in bed. He's sick. He's clearly deteriorating. The doctor is administering the treatments of the day, which might make things worse at that point because you would have no way of knowing that this— person has probably been poisoned with arsenic and then some other things that we think lead may have been part of it. Um, uh, mercury may have been part of it. Um, we see different sort of like spins on what we think the formula was. Arsenic is definitely one of the main ingredients. And we know that arsenic can lead to a slow a slow death, right. a slow poisoning. Right. So it makes a lot of sense. And and like hearing these sorts of, all these symptoms that I've just listed. See, also the Sawbones episode about arsenic. Yes. Um, and so anyway, eventually the person who has been exposed to Aquatofana would die. And this entire time. Well, eventually, Sydney. Everybody. Well, well thank you, honey. That's, <laughs> I'll lay in bed tonight and think about that. Um, so <laughs> eventually... Well, yeah, sorry, you didn't have your wife detail for you all the cool ways that wives would kill their husbands for being deadbeats and, and, here's and the, how easy it would be. Here's the brilliant thing about it. This entire time that he is sick and slowly weakening and succumbing to his illness, if you're, if you're his wife, you're going to be calling the doctor. You're going to be keeping the doctor updated. You're going to be worried. You are going to be... T tending to your sick husband every moment of every day, wiping his forehead with a cloth, um, bringing him whatever he desires to eat or to drink. Oh my gosh! As you as you He's sit, giving him more. I don't know. He just keeps getting worse. As you sit by his bedside, tending to his every need, the the sad. If he, if he would just not look so happy. saintly. He looks so happy, <laughs> like so delighted. If you just not look so delighted. It's a very clever, it's a very clever poison because the entire time the woman can be right there bedside tending to her husband as he's dying and also murdering him. Um, so, and then afterwards, of course, this is, this was sort of part of the formula. So after it's over, as the wife who is now grieving, you will demand, I want a postmortem. I want you, and at the time, not, of course, we didn't do this a lot, right? But I want this body examined. What killed my husband? I need to know. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about this poison, this aquatofana, is that allegedly you could find no trace. There was nothing on examination that would have, have ever revealed to the doctors and professionals at the time that this person had been poisoned. And so at that point, um, and what the other thing this did, by the way, is if someone did suspect the wife, because as more cases like this started to arise, you can imagine that word was getting out. Yeah. So if anyone tried to accuse the wife. They'd get it next. Well, you get twofold things. One, one, that's she's, a really, that's she's a really the interesting one, suspicion. Have some tea while you think about that. <laughs> she's officer. the one demanding the examination mm -hmm. to, that, that will prove her innocence. And then also, if it is the family of the deceased man— who has demanded, like, who or who has accused her, she can use that as as uh, evidence to say, I must remarry. I can't carry the name of this family who would accuse me of murder, that my name has been sullied. <laughs> I must detach myself from this other family. I must remarry, which wasn't, wasn't always done at the time. So it was like Aquatavana in its 
completely imperceptible nature, disguised in bottles with a saint's picture on it that was supposedly a holy oil, you know, that, that proved a person's holiness, that proved how devout and faithful the, the owner of this liquid was. Um, it was slow acting. It was undetectable. You could demand a postmortem. You could be feeding your husband the poison as they were dying from the poison, and no one would ever suspect you. Um, so many men started to die this way. How many is not exactly clear. But many. So enough that enough. people enough that people got concerned because there were even <laughs> one of the ways that they figured it out is. Uh, a lot of these women, you may imagine, were Catholic. And in case you're not, I can tell you this from experience. One of the things we Catholics are expected to do uh, is go confess to our sins periodically. Right. Well, just because they're willing to murder doesn't mean they're willing to betray their faith. Right. So there were a lot of priests bringing to the attention of higher uh, religious authorities that they had heard the confessions of quite a few women now, who had admitted to, to murdering their husbands. That's, they're not supposed to do that, right? That's like a big deal. No, they're not. Well, and they, so, but you know who who they're telling? They're telling the bishops and the cardinals and eventually the pope. So that should all be, I mean, it's kind of like them sharing information with each other should be, in theory, the same as if, if a patient tells me information, private medical information, and then I'm worried that I need to talk to like a kidney doctor about them, and so I say, I'm going to talk to your kidney doctor, and then I go talk to the kidney doctor, me sharing the, what they've told me is all like HIPAA protected, right? Like that's okay. It's okay that I do that because it's all within the circle of trust. <laughs> right. In theory, that was all within the circle of trust. Um, but in reality a bunch of men figured out that a bunch of women were killing their husbands and they told everybody about it. So what started to happen is that the deaths became obvious. Um, there started to be notices put out to the public mm -hmm. like, um, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> Your wives might be trying to kill you. Be aware of aquatofana. I don't think it wouldn't be till many years after that people would figure out what the bottle looked like and piece all these different things together. Mm. Um, and then there was another case. There, there, Like I said, there's a couple. There might have been a sting operation that led to their final arrest where they had a woman pose as like a wealthy wife who was seeking poison. And then once they like exchanged money and poison, I don't know, the authorities swooped in and arrested everybody. Uh, um, it also seems like, I was just reading a little bit here, that there's a difference between uh, saying Mary poisoned her husband and speaking generally, I have heard an uptick, holistically speaking. Yes. Yeah, and <laughs> like let me it's say, any of it, like, you know. Yes, it, that is what, as far as I can tell, that is what was being conveyed to the higher religious authorities is, a lot of people are telling me they're killing their husbands. Not, here's a list of people. But like, generally speaking, I am disturbed at the number of women who came to my confessional like, today and said... Just quick heat watch, murdering, uh, staying in a loveless marriage, tired, murdering your husband with a secret poison, <laughs> wired. It's, that's, it's hot. That's in. Uh, so there was also another story where they helped kill a, a very high-profile duke 
Um, they helped the Duchess murder him. And then afterwards, the the wife sort of caved and admitted it and that. Anyway, um, whether or not Tofana herself actually got arrested is still kind of a question. There are multiple stories of how she ended ended her life or how, how her life ended, I should say. There are stories that she was never caught oh. and died peacefully. She's still alive. Out there, there no, this was the 1700s. There are stories that she was arrested and died in jail. We don't think that she was executed. There was a lot of evidence that even though some of her like gang was arrested, that they didn't like it was so um salacious and so uh such a media frenzy that they wanted to like quiet it as quickly as possible and they never actually arrested or brought her into trial or anything, mm. and that she was just. She just sort of disappeared. They cut off her supply of arsenic. They cut off her team. Everybody knew about aquatofauna. Everybody knew about the potential for this poison. And she just kind of escaped and got away with it. Mm. But the legend was enough that, I mean, it, there were public warnings for years after this about the possibility that symptoms of a chronic illness might actually be your wife poisoning you to death. And that you need to be on the lookout also for women like Julia Tofana. Because that's what it—I mean, that you, you see kind of like the underlying sexism, sexism of some of this. Like, let's look for these evil single women who might be selling potions, which would, all you know, overlap with any any woman who was reading fortunes or who just didn't attend church or who right. was single or, you know, wh- who didn't want to get married for whatever reason. Like, all of that could have been thrown Read together. Read too much. Exactly. Um but also, like, there was a woman who sold poisons that helped kill people. So I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to erase that piece of it. Um, another interesting kind of footnote to this story is that it was so well known, and everyone was so afraid that when Mozart fell ill, his first thought is that he was being poisoned by Aquatofana. That Sounds was his like, first theory. Um, it sounds to me like maybe you should straighten up and fly right there, Amadeus. Maybe, I don't know. My, that's not where my mind will go, Amadeus. That's all I'm saying. I, I mean, and, there, I and can I say, this led me to read extensively about Mozart's death because I knew nothing. This is a medical mystery. This is a bit of a mystery itself. How did Mozart die? Um, there is no evidence that it was from poisoning I, I should say, like from from my and granted, that's not what the whole episode is about. I can't tell you exactly what Mozart died from, but it does not seem that it, it was Aquatofana or his wife who poisoned him or something that would be similar. But he did think it. So, do we know what it was? Arsenic was the primary ingredient for sure. Um, we but- we know that, and then like I said. We think that there was mercury in it. Um, We think that there was lead. Uh And then there was another corrosive ingredient called solomato, which was also used at the time for things like syphilis. Uh Um, So, like, some of these components were—I mean, that's why I thought this kind of fit into our history. We used all of these things as medicines. Well, and it occurs to me that, like— Making our medicines was so imprecise at the time. There's no reason to think that the exact formula for this would be written down and and no. saved, right? I mean, it's pretty much a single source. No, and I'm, I mean, I really think like any one of these things probably could have done the trick. I think the key was in the amounts. Mm-hmm. I think that was really what made this work is it had to be small amounts slowly over time or else you'd get caught. Um. And and these are also, like I said, slow-acting poisons. You don't immediately die from arsenic the way you do from cyanide. Mm-hmm. 
Um, thank you so much for listening to this absolutely chilling episode. Uh, <laughs> I hope you are just as shaken as I am. Uh, thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to you for listening. We really uh, we really appreciate you. Um, oh, real quick, we're going to be recording our Sawbones bonus episode for the upcoming Max Fun Drive. Uh, and as again, we are answering kids' questions. So if a kid in your life has a medical question, shoot it on over our way. Sawbones at MaximumFun.org. It's going to do it for us. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.